following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know him and make him known. Friday is, as many of you know, is my Sabbath day. Um, that's a day that I take off. Um, church in Erie, and, Illinois. And uh, one of the things that a Sabbath day allows me to do is usually watch a movie of some kind. And this Friday, Aaron and I watched this documentary. It was called 14 Peaks. And 14 Peaks is the story of this guy who decides he's going to climb all 14 of the world's 8,000-meter mountains, right? 8,000 meters, if you're like me, that means absolutely nothing to you. But 8,000 meters is about 26,000 feet. So the 14 biggest mountains in the world. And the previous record for climbing all 14 peaks, this has been done a few times, but the previous record was about seven years and it took somebody to do it. This guy decided, I'm going to do it in seven months. It's absolutely incredible. And, and we're watching this story. And as amazing as the story is, the thing that strikes me when I see something like this, some story like this, is when he gets to the top of a mountain like, like Mount Everest, right? The tallest mountain in the world. And they show pictures as he looks around. And it is absolutely amazing. Like you feel like you're in a plane flying, but he's standing on the ground, taking this picture, looking down at all of these mountains. And it is, it's just one of those things where you go, man, if I was there, I don't know how I would respond to that. Like how you even take in all of that around you. And maybe you've, you've been at some point in your life where you're standing there and you just start thinking, I don't know what to do with this. Like, I, I can't imagine how I'm supposed to respond. Like, people talk about this when they stand at the, the edge of, like, the Grand Canyon. Right? Or maybe you had this feeling at the birth of your first child. Or maybe you felt this way when you tried to respond to some unique, loving act by your spouse or by a family member or by a close friend. One of these moments where you're sitting there and you're just absolutely stunned. You are speechless. And you have no way to express the emotions that you are feeling and experiencing in the moment. Well, we talk often here about how massively indescribable God's love is. And, and, and for, for most of us, we try to relate to God's love uh, in, in terms of things that we know. We try to relate to God's love in terms of maybe how we love a, a, a spouse or our children or our families or our, our friends. But when we're honest with ourselves, when we're honest with what we know, what scripture teaches us, all of those relationships, all of those acts of love pale in comparison to the real thing of God's love. See, because the truth is we have no way in our humanity to express the reality of God's love. We just can't wrap our heads around it. God knew this, right? That doesn't surprise God. He knew that we would never be able to fully grasp his love. And so he sent his son to show us the fullness and the richness of his love. Again, we don't fully comprehend that, but we understand it better because Jesus came to show us the fullness and the richness of God's love. So the question before us is, well, how does a child born in a manger reveal the immensity of God's love to us? And that's a great question. We're going to look at the book of Hebrews, and we're going to find this out. 
Um, and, and we're going to see that in the, the opening words of the book of Hebrews, we're going to see how by his birth, his entrance into humanity, Jesus shows us who God is and teaches us the scope of the Father's love for us. And he does this in, in many different ways. But again, in this passage, we're going to see three very distinct ways. And the first is this. Jesus, by his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, Jesus articulates God's love. Jesus articulates God's love. We're going to see this in verse 1 and the first half of verse 2, where it says, Long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. Jesus articulates God's love. The author of Hebrews, right, and who the author of Hebrews is, is a conversation for another day. We don't have time to go into that today. But the author of Hebrews begins his writing by comparing two distinct periods in the history of mankind. He begins, he says, long ago. All right, for, for the author of Hebrews, he's talking about human history before Jesus. He's really talking about the Old Testament period, the time when God spoke, when God revealed himself through prophets, through different visions, sometimes even through animals. If you don't remember the story of, of Balaam's donkey, go, go look at it this week, right? Numbers 22, verse 21, or 22 through 41. Write that down if you don't know what that story is because it's absolutely amazing. It's incredible. But God reveals himself through the mouth of a donkey. What? Right? That's God revealing himself in various ways over that time. But then the author of Hebrews pivots, and he says, but in these last days, in these last days, in this time where God has revealed himself fully and completely through Jesus, right in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, his point to his Jewish audience is this. Ken, I don't want you to miss this. He says, listen, if you guys trust the Old Testament, if you trust the Old Testament, which, spoiler alert, any good Jew does, this is the basis for their entire lives. They live according to the, the law of the Old Testament. He says, listen, if, if you do believe this, if you do trust this, you think this is God's word, how much more should you trust Jesus? Because God has spoken directly to us through his son. And Jesus has clearly declared who God is and what God's love is. He says, if you trust the Old Testament, you have to believe Jesus' message and Jesus' truth of God's love. Because Jesus is the articulation, the clear and complete expression of God's love. We saw in the... the book of Colossians, right? We looked a couple weeks ago at Colossians 1 in 19, where it says, for God was pleased to have his partiality dwell in Christ. No, his fullness dwell in Christ. Jesus is everything we need to know, everything we need to hear, everything we need described about our God. He is the perfect articulation of God's love. Okay, great. What does that mean for us? 
What does that mean to you and me as we go about this week into this Christmas season, as we go about into the rest of our lives? Well, we understand that Jesus is the clear and complete articulation of God's love. Then our call is to point others to Jesus, to show them the redemption of God's great and awesome love. Right? That's that's our, our job, our role on this planet. It's not to get saved and then sit around and wait to die so we get to go to heaven. Our call is to point others to Jesus because he is the clear, complete, perfect articulation of God's love. We want them to know that so that they may be saved. And so our job is to point them to God's love through Jesus Christ. And we have to remember, okay, we have to remember that that this encompasses really a, 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 a twofold understanding of God's love. Because if we understand that Jesus is the perfect articulation of God's love, we want to point people to Jesus. We have to be honest with them about what that love is. Right? And there's really a, a twofold aspect of that love. There is judgment and redemption. Right? And no, I say judgment. You're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're saying judgment is part of love? That doesn't sound right. You're right. It doesn't sound right, but it is. Let me show you. Right? Judgment and redemption. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus says this phrase that you've, you've heard before. If you've sat in church for more than a couple weeks, you've heard this before. Jesus says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commands. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Jesus sets a standard. It's not if you love me, you can do whatever you want and it's all Okay. If you love me, you choose how you want to live. If you love me, you decide what's right and wrong. If you love me, it's all up to you. No, he says, if you love me, keep my commands. Jesus sets a standard. This is what my love is. Judgment says there is a standard, and we are called to live up to it. But we never forget that there is redemption there as well. Romans 5.10 says, "For, for while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. And how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Right? When we were enemies, when we chose our own way, when we decided we knew what was best, when we thought, you know what, we can do this on our own, God still loved us. And he reconciled us to himself. He made us right with him through Jesus' death. And if he is willing to make us right, With Jesus' death, when we are far from him, when we are running from him, how much more will he love us and save us and bring us back to him? See, true love has both. It sets a standard, but it offers redemption. I put it in terms like this. I am not loving my kids if I let them run around and do whatever they want. That's not loving my kids I I am, as their father, I am to set a standard for them. I am to teach them to walk in the ways of the Lord. I am to show them what they need to do, how they need to live. That is my job. But knowing that they're not always going to listen to me, amen, parents? Knowing that they're not always going to listen to me, I am to be a father who loves them, who offers them grace and mercy. But there has to be both of those. 
I can't be a father who says, yes, do what I say, and if you don't, there's going to be problems and never offers any grace. I also can't be a father who says, yeah, do what you want. I don't care. Neither one of those is love. Love requires, love requires judgment and redemption. When we think of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we recognize that through him, God has made his perfect love known to us, shows us that love. Clearly understanding Jesus' love means we obey him, right? We conduct ourselves in accordance with his commands, not in hopes of being made right with him, but because he has loved us, and so we respond by obeying him. But we also rest and his grace, and his forgiveness, and his redemption. Because we know we can't be perfect. We know we're going to fail along the way. That's not an excuse for us to do what we want to do, but it's a reality. And if our reality is, well, God's going to you know, strike us down if I fail, right? you know how much fun it is to live like, that way? It, it's no fun at all. <laughs> but we know that we have that forgiveness, that grace, that redemption in him. We can rest in his forgiveness. But our question is this, do we allow Jesus to define our love? Because this doesn't line up with what the culture tells us, right? That love has has these, these two aspects, has judgment and has redemption. No. The world says, if you love somebody, let them do whatever they want to do and be happy for them. Because it's fine doesn't affect you. Leave them alone. Right? That's not love. So will we allow Jesus to define love? Or do we continue to try to define it for ourselves? According to the world outside our front door. According to what feels right to me. Jesus is the articulation, the clear and complete expression of God's love. And so he is our standard. He is who we look to. So this first verse and a half of this passage explains to us who Jesus is. Next, the author of Hebrews tells us what Jesus does. In the second half of verse two through verse three, it says Jesus exhibits God's love. Jesus exhibits God's love. And he says, God has appointed him, him being Jesus here, appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus exhibits God's love. Again, the author of Hebrews says here that Jesus is God. This is what he's telling us in these words. He says, Jesus is God. He's the heir of heaven through whom all things were created. Which, again, the author of Hebrews, writing to a Jewish audience, that Jewish audience would know to look back at the Old Testament and say, okay, Genesis 1-1, what? In the beginning, God what? Created the heavens and the earth. And if you know that story, God says, let there be light, and there's light. God says, and everything comes into being. God, by his word, brings all of creation into being. And then we understand John 1, 1, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. 
right? This understanding that Jesus is the word who was with God and who is God. If God creates by his word, Jesus is the word, Jesus creates, right? Jesus isn't born that first Christmas and all of a sudden came to being where he had never been, no. He is God. He is one with the Father. Hebrews drills this deeper by saying that Jesus is the exact expression of God's nature. Jesus completed God's love by purifying creation and then sitting down at the right hand, sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now, listen, this sitting down, if we just read this in passing, you're like, okay, Jesus sat down, right? He, he did a big work. He, got, he went back to the Father. He's tired, right? We get tired after we do a, a whole lot of work. We need to sit down. Jesus sat down. Yeah, great. But again, from the Jewish perspective, this sitting down means Jesus is declaring that the work is done. That's when you sit down, not when you're tired, not when you feel like you've done enough, but when the work is finished. He sat down. There's nothing more for Jesus to do. That's why it says in in John 19, verse 30, when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. What was finished? It was the redemption of his creation, the world that he created. It was the redemption by the blood, his sacrificial blood on the cross. He says, no more blood is needed Because Jesus has exhibited the perfect love of God. He has shown us what that is, and he has sacrificed himself in our place. I have a a helper that anytime I have anything I need to do, whether it's a home improvement project, whether I'm trying to figure out what's wrong with something, whether I'm trying to figure out how to do something on my computer, um, whether I'm learning a new skill or anything like that. I, I have a, a, a special assistant who helps me. Um, the assistant's name is YouTube. Right? <laughs> anything you want to know, anything you're like, I don't know if I know how to do this. You look on YouTube, you can find it. And somebody will walk you through all the steps. Well, here's what you do, and here's what it looks like, and here's the tool you need, and here's what you do. And, and you go from here to here to here. Here are the steps, right? It's all of the, everything you need to know. Now, I could go to the library and get a book and read, okay, step-by-step how to do this. And that's great. That would give me a lot of information. But there's something more helpful about seeing it in front of you, isn't it? To see it. In the manger of a cave in Bethlehem, God's gift of love was made evident to mankind. And yes, it would be another 33 to 36 years later before it would be fully expressed in the blood of the cross. But in that moment of Jesus' birth, God's commitment to his beloved children was sealed before our eyes. Because in Jesus, we had that visual reference. He is the image of the invisible God. In Jesus, we see God's love lived out perfectly, giving us the pattern with which we are to follow in our lives as we celebrate that love and share that love with the world around us. 
Because every act of Jesus' life reveals a deepening measure of God's incredible, intense love for his creation. And this pattern of God's love that Jesus exhibits is what we are to pattern ourselves after, our lives. And we could talk for years about how we do that and all the different ways that that happens. But this morning, I want to give you one verse, two callings in our lives to live out this extremely countercultural love in ways that imitate Christ and exhibit God's love to the world around us. If you've got a Bible, flip over to the book of Colossians. Just turn to the left. You go through all the T books, Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. And eventually, you find Colossians. Right? It's in the, the Go Eat Popcorn books. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. And actually, I'm going to read verse 12, but then we're, we're going to look at verse 13. Verse 12 starts out, Therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Right? Just stop right there. What he's saying is, be like Christ. You want to simplify verse 12? Be like Christ. Then verse 13, he says, this is how you do it. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. In this verse, we get two calls that uniquely exhibit God's love as we pattern our lives after Jesus. And Paul tells us, Paul, the author of this, tells us first, as we pattern our lives after Jesus, we are to be grace givers. We are to be grace givers, right? He says, bearing with one another, right? Be like Christ. How? Bearing with one another. What that really means is seeking the best for others, whether you agree with them or not, whether you even like them or not. Bear with one another. Grace giving is the giving of undeserved gifts. I don't know what that's going to look like in your life or in the relationships you're in right now. That's going to look different for every one of us. But it's that reminder that we are to be grace givers. We are to give undeserved gifts. And in a me-centric culture and a me-centric world, this flies in the face of what is accepted and what is expected. Amen? We are to be grace givers. Then Paul goes and he says, okay, specifically, how do you live like Christ? Be a grace giver. And then he says, and how do you do that specifically? He says, let me give you one example. He says, we are to be forgivers. Ooh, we are to be forgivers. Jesus forgives beyond all measure of reason. Amen? Jesus forgives beyond all measure of reason, amen? amen? Yes. If there was one truth that you and I should grab a hold of in our lives is the reality that Jesus forgives beyond all measure of reason because there is no reason for him to forgive you and there's no reason for him to forgive me. Let's thank God that he does. Jesus forgives beyond all measure of reason and we are to exhibit his love in kind. 
And let me be honest with you, I think this may be the hardest part of the Christian life. I think this may be the single hardest aspect of the Christian life. Because it means that we don't get to decide who deserves forgiveness. We don't get to decide who has repented enough for me to forgive. If we know Jesus' forgiveness, then we must forgive others. Because there's absolutely nothing anyone can do to you or to me that's worse than what you and I have done to Jesus Christ by pinning a perfect, innocent man to a cross so that he could bleed and suffer and die. If we in our lives are looking for excuses to not forgive, if we say, no, 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 but you don't, under- Jonathan, you don't understand what they did to me. Jonathan, you don't understand what I've been through. I would say this, you are absolutely 100% right. I have no idea what you've been through. I have no idea how that person has hurt you, how those people turned their back on you, how that organization left you feeling. I have no clue. But when I read the pages of Scripture, I don't see an out. I don't see a place where it says, forgive, unless... The call is to forgive. If you and I are looking for reasons not to forgive, let's be honest with ourselves right now. We have rejected Christ. And it is us who need to repent. If I have a person in my life that I say, no, I don't need to forgive you. I don't want to forgive you. I'm not going to forgive you. I'm the one who needs to repent. Because I've rejected Christ. And I've said, that's great that you've forgiven me and given me eternal life. That's fine but you don't understand. No, 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 no. We are to be grace givers. And when we understand grace, we are to be forgivers. And again, don't hear that as me going, look, I don't care what you've been through. Just forgive them and get over it. That's not what I'm saying at all. There are hurts and pains that we have to deal with in our lives that we are going to struggle with, that we need to figure out how we, how we, how we walk through these things. That's why you have a church family around you who wants to help you, who wants to love you, who wants to walk through those things with you. That doesn't mean we don't need to be forgivers. Jesus perfectly displays God's love. He exhibits it as a God of grace, God who forgives. How will we display Jesus' love this week? How will we give grace? How will we forgive? How will we love? Jesus articulates God's love and exhibits it in his person and work. Finally, in this passage, we're going to see that Jesus reigns in God's love. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 4 says, So he, again, he is Jesus, he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Jesus reigns in God's love. That Jesus is superior to the angels just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is a, a confusing verse for many translators. Um, we, we, could, we could talk in depth about the Greek here and how it's 
confusing and how many different translators look at this and they're not sure how exactly this wording fits together. But the, the meaning of the original text, the central idea is very clear. It's that the promised Messiah, the one in the Old Testament that God promised, the chosen one, the deliverer, would be greater than the angels. And since Jesus is the Messiah, so Jesus is greater than the angels. Jesus is not just a messenger. He's not just a prophet. He's not just somebody who has some nice things to say. He is God, the creator, and so he is greater than the angels. And it says that his name that he inherited is greater than theirs. And again, we don't have time to go into the depth of the name of Jesus Christ this morning, but let me give you the real short version of this. This is the like Reader's Digest version of the Reader's Digest version. The name Jesus comes from the the Hebrew, which we would translate as Joshua, which means God saves or the Lord saves. And Christ is a, a, a version of the Old Testament word Messiah, meaning the anointed one or the chosen one. So in the name of Jesus Christ, it's so much more than just his first and last name. It's not like, well, there's Jonathan Eckberg and there's Jesus Christ. No, no, it's a declaration of who Jesus is and what he does. He is the one that God has chosen to save his children, to deliver his children in love and grace and mercy. It's the declaration that Jesus is the one that God had promised in Genesis 3 when he told Satan that you will strike his heel he will crush your head. He is the one who will deliver. Again, going back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14 says, the Father has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In him, him is Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ, the one God sent to deliver us, to save us from the darkness and the brokenness of the world around us. The great joy and peace of our lives comes in the fact that we serve a king who reigns in love. We serve a loving savior, one who has nothing outside of his authority, And so whether we like it or not, whether we accept it or not, we are under his authority. It's through him that all creation was made. He is reigning and ruling over all things. Now, the fact that we are under God's authority, whether we accept him or not, whether we accept Jesus Christ as our savior or not, we are under God's authority, right? Some will hear that and rage against that. They see it as a problem. Whoa, 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 no. I get to do what I want. I choose what I want. Sure, for a time. But you are ultimately under God's authority. And so while some see this as a problem, we see the hope and the relief in this reign of love. Because Jesus reigns in love, we are free to celebrate, even in our faults, even in our brokenness, even in our mistakes, because he has saved us. He has redeemed us. And while we will never be good enough for him, he has made us good enough for him. 
in the birth of Jesus, we are given not just a child in a manger. In the birth of Jesus, we are given not just a charismatic teacher of moral excellence. In the birth of Jesus, we are given not just a lamb for the sacrifice. We are given all of those things. And I use the word just not to minimize those things, but to say there's more. There is more. There is more. There is more. We were given all of that, but we were given an eternal king who came in humility to sit at the throne of all of creation and to reign in his great and awesome love, sharing his grace and mercy, his peace, his forgiveness. And this is the king that loves you. Not some disconnected ruler out there somewhere, but the king who knows you and loves you and gave his life for you. And that king rules forever and ever and ever. Listen, do we, as we think about the Christmas season, do we rejoice in the fact that Jesus came not to just be born in a manger, but he came to reign and rule forever and ever? And we get to sit under that reign and under that rule. Jesus is the clear and complete articulation of God's love for us. And as such, he exhibits God's love, showing us how we are to live in light of his love. And to that end, he reigns in that love over all of creation for all of time. And this infinite love is beyond our ability to truly and fully understand. We will never grasp all of this, but in the, the small bits that our finite human hearts and human minds can know, can understand, we should be overwhelmed at the awe and the wonder of his love. How can we not be left in awe and wonder at the reality that the perfect holy God who created the heavens and the earth would love his heart sick and rebellious children so much that he would send his very own son to save us? How can we not be left in awe and wonder at the fact that Jesus would leave the throne of heaven willingly, pack himself into the form of a human body, be born of a teenage virgin among the animal stalls in Bethlehem, all so that he could love his children and be rejected and reviled by those he came to save? How can we not be left in awe and wonder at how in love Jesus shed his blood on the cross, giving his life in place of ours to pay the penalty for sins he did not commit? How can we not be left in awe and wonder at the thought that in love Jesus would rise from the dead, leaving behind him an empty tomb, and that he would victoriously ascend to the right hand of glory, where he sat down declaring the work of our redemption done. How can we not stand in awe and wonder of Jesus Christ this Christmas? This year as we celebrate with songs, with church services, with gatherings of friends and families, with quiet moments of reflection, with traditions that are all around us, and everything else that goes along with this joyous occasion of Christmas, may we never lose sight 
of the love of the Christmas story. A love that secures our eternity, changes our hearts, and sets our lives apart as children of God's great and awesome love. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, you are so good and so absolutely incredible. And while we seek to know you and love you and serve you with all of our hearts, we understand that as broken, flawed, finite human beings, we will never fully grasp that. And, and that can feel a little frustrating sometimes. And yet, Father, we're so grateful that, that as much as we see of you, as much as we know, as much as we understand of your love, we realize that we only scratch the surface. How incredible must your love be? How amazing must your grace be? How all too wonderful must you be? Father, we thank you for the gift of your love articulated and exhibited in your son who reigns forever and ever and ever. And as we look at the coming days, Lord, may we just over and over and over again cry out in in gratitude and celebration for the story of our Savior born in a manger in the shadow of a cross the one who came to love the unlovable, redeem the unredeemable, to do what we could never do so that we could rest in your presence where we never deserve to be. And we thank you. We love you. And we praise you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.erieefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.